0: You're listening to Policy Currents, a weekly podcast from the Rand Corporation. I'm Evan Banks.
1: And I'm Deanna Lee. Every Friday, we bring you new insights from Rand's latest research and commentary. It's June 4th.
0: In early May, President Joe Biden announced a goal in the fight against COVID 19 160 million Americans fully vaccinated by July 4th, one month from today. Currently, the country is about 23 million shy of this goal. So what might happen if vaccination rates end up falling short? To find out, RAND researchers simulated thousands of scenarios about how the pandemic could unfold. The findings showed that fully reopening the economy before Biden's vaccination goal is met doubled the average number of COVID-19 deaths between Independence Day and the end of 2021. Nearly all of these projected deaths came from the unvaccinated population. Additionally, reopening early meant surges in cases and deaths were more probable, more severe, and occurred sooner. In other words, vaccinating 160 million people by July 4th could save tens of thousands of American lives. But many uncertainties remain. For one, more transmissible variants could alter the course of the pandemic. Additionally, looking at the July 4th target gives us just a snapshot, not a full characterization of the ongoing vaccination effort. For these and other reasons, state and local policymakers may need to consider tempering their reopening plans based on vaccination progress in their communities.
1: U.S. service members who identify as lesbian, gay, or bisexual, as well as others who did not indicate that they identify as heterosexual, represented 12% of the active-duty population in 2018, but they accounted for an estimated 43% of all sexually assaulted service members. Put another way, assaults on the minority of service members who do not describe themselves as heterosexual constitute almost half of military sexual assaults. That's according to a new RAND study. Lead author Andrew Morrell says that sexual minorities are often targeted for bullying, intimidation, and sexual assault in the civilian world, and this study suggests that the same occurs in the military. This may not be well known among military leaders or the public, and so better understanding the risk that sexual minorities in the military face could help to identify and prevent behavior that often precedes assault.
0: An estimated 2 million people across the U.S. are affected by opioid use disorder. Buprenorphine is a drug that helps people manage this illness and refrain from illicitly using opioids. A new RAND study finds that most prescriptions of buprenorphine are written by a small number of healthcare providers. Half of all patient months of buprenorphine treatment during 2016 and 2017 were prescribed by less than 5% of the providers who prescribed the drug during that period. And notably, caseloads among the most active prescribers were well below the maximum limit of 275 patients prescribed buprenorphine at one time. These findings have important implications for efforts to increase access to buprenorphine. Given that a relatively low number of providers account for most of the prescriptions, providing targeted support to current buprenorphine prescribers who are willing to safely treat more patients may be a more promising strategy than focusing on increasing the number of new prescribers.
1: This has been a school year like no other. Schools across the country have responded to the pandemic by reducing in-person learning or closing buildings altogether for much of the year. Findings from our National Survey of Educators have consistently indicated that remote schooling is associated with fewer instructional opportunities and potentially poorer student outcomes compared with in-person learning. For example, teachers we surveyed reported more student absenteeism with remote instruction, and principals reported lower achievement in math and English. It's important to note that remote instruction has been more common among schools that serve higher percentages of students of color and low-income students. The survey also revealed that teachers and principals who have been in remote settings this school year appear to be far more comfortable with the idea of continuing to provide remote instruction in some form, even after the pandemic passes. Taken together, these findings suggest that the pandemic has set schools on diverging and inequitable pathways, and the path that they're on depends on whether they were mostly remote or in-person over the course of this
0: school year. According to RAND research we shared on a previous episode, as many Americans experienced serious psychological distress in just the first month of the pandemic as during the entire year before the pandemic began and elevated rates of anxiety and depression have persisted in the COVID-19 era. According to Rand's Ryan McBain, this moment is an opportunity to, quote, cut short the pandemic's long tail of mental illness by taking decisive action. In particular, there are three key areas that policymakers and others could address, he says. First, continuing the expansion of telehealth increases access to mental health care. A trove of evidence has shown that, for conditions such as anxiety and depression, telemedicine can be as effective as in-person care. Remote care options were bolstered by temporary policies when COVID-19 hit, but permanent federal changes would have to be made to ensure providers will continue to offer telehealth services after the pandemic. Second, screening for mental disorders in primary care. A long-standing priority of mental health advocates has been to integrate mental health care and physical health care, but smaller health clinics may need incentives to adopt this approach. Third and finally, reducing the stigma surrounding mental health, starting in schools. If students receive consistent exposure to anti-stigma messaging, it could help reduce rates of suicide among adolescents and young adults, which have increased by more than 50% over the past decade. In the wake of COVID-19, McBain says steps such as these could help to reimagine a health system that is resilient against future threats, including the resulting psychological trauma of the pandemic.
1: Geoengineering is the intentional, large-scale manipulation of an environmental process on Earth in order to address the effects of climate change. As the threat of climate change grows, use of geoengineering technologies is becoming more and more likely. Unsurprisingly, geoengineering comes with risks. In 2009, for example, when a Chinese weather bureau sought to end a drought by firing sticks of silver iodide into the sky, a technique called cloud seeding, it led to massive snowfall and highway closures. Consider another technology space mirrors which block and reflect solar radiation. Use of space mirrors can decrease precipitation and cause regional shading and sunlight, which can negatively affect agriculture. And beyond these environmental risks, geoengineering can introduce geopolitical risks too. That's the focus of a new RAND paper. The primary concern is that some countries may decide to pursue geoengineering, even as others condemn their efforts. In fact, more powerful states might actually oppose geoengineering if they believe that they stand to lose more from an engineered climate than they do from the status quo. For example, Russia could benefit from a warming climate in terms of its agriculture and polar activities. And by contrast, the countries that are most vulnerable to climate change, and also most likely to benefit from geoengineering, tend to be low-income and have little international political influence. The authors of the paper conclude that policymakers and researchers should take steps to bridge the gap between these maturing technologies and the available mechanisms to govern their use. Such steps should be taken before a geoengineering crisis occurs.